You just missed a home run. I missed out on an incredible deal you were offering at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. It just started. You can get beautiful Pella Windows and pay no interest for four years. Visit PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Hey, here's an interesting piece of trivia. When you think about the Super Bowl TV broadcasts and all the money that's spent on advertising, if you were going to think about, gee, beer companies and Super Bowl ads, what do you think of? Well, you think of Budweiser. You think of maybe it's the the Clagsdale, the Clagsdales, maybe it's the Clagsdales, maybe it's the 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 Bud frogs, you know, whatever. But you think about Budweiser. And the reason you think about Budweiser is for the last couple decades, it's been 30 years, Budweiser has paid extra money to be the exclusive um, beer partner, uh, essentially, of uh, on the Super Bowl. So Budweiser, in addition to just running their ads, they have paid extra money to Super Bowl sponsors with the idea that they will have an exclusivity. In other words, nobody else can you know run beer ads. This year, they've given that up. Now, they're still going to be a part of the broadcast, and they still will run beer ads, but they've given up. They're not paying extra for the exclusive rights anymore. And so the story is that uh, Molson Coors, which is – you know, Coors Light and Miller Light primarily, they're they're going to be running at least one ad, maybe more. So it is possible, for all those of us who are fans of Miller Light, it is possible that there may actually be one or more Miller Light ads on the Super Bowl for the first time in decades. And then, of course, the question would be, if you're going to run a Miller Light ad or two, what would that ad be? Not that they're going to ask me, but if they were, my suggestion would be bring back the Miller Lite All-Stars. I still think that is one of the greatest advertising campaigns of all time. And if you're coming back to the Super Bowl and you're going to spend that money, what what a better way than to do it than to get some of the Miller Lite All-Stars together and get Bob Euchre back there. Must be in the front row, something like that. Do the taste great, less filling sort of thing. I think that would be great retro branding. Now, will they do that or not? No, they'll probably come up with some high concept and they spend all this money and nobody will understand it but look for potentially either Miller Lite ads or Coors Light ads or ads for both on this year's Super Bowl next February okay let's get started a lot of ground to cover on today's program so we're gonna motor through a lot of topics pretty quickly I, I posted this on Twitter the other day and if you follow me on Twitter it's at Jeff Wagner 620 I believe that this can be a real watershed year for Republicans in the November elections. I, I, I believe it. But at the same time, I never underestimate the ability of Republicans to shoot themselves in the foot by, I don't know, choosing candidates and primaries who are absolutely unelectable or failing to understand where the majority of voters are. Now, in this election, what what are voters <clears throat> most concerned about? And, and if you look at almost every poll, and I understand there's some people who don't believe polls, but almost every poll will tell you that there's a handful of issues that really are motivating people. One is concern about the economy. 
Stock market, gosh, the stock market's down 460 points today. It, it, just massive losses. Trillions of dollars in wealth have just disappeared over the course of, you know, the last year or so. Americans are worried about inflation. The latest numbers yesterday, what were the numbers? A four-decade high of 9.1%, wholesale prices up 11.3%. Even if you have gotten a raise over the course of the last um, year, you're, you're still behind the eight ball because with inflation, what's the story I have here? Four point American workers, you, you've got 4.4 less percent less in actual buying power than you had a year ago, and that's even assuming that you got raises. So uh, what are Americans concerned about? They are concerned about their economic security. They are concerned about the state of the economy. They are concerned about the stock market. They are concerned about inflation. Around here, southeastern Wisconsin, people are concerned about the out-of-control crime rates. Those are the things that move the needle and get people out to vote. It goes back to the campaign in the 90s where Bill Clinton would say, hey, it's the economy, stupid. You know, whenever Bill Clinton would want to go off on riffs about one thing or another, his advisors would haul him back in and say, it's the economy, comma, stupid, exclamation point. Talk about that. That's what are going to win an election. And you know what? It's what did win the election. So, 2022, Running for governor, if you are a Republican, what are the issues? Well, it's, it's real simple. It's gas prices. It's food prices. It's the state of the economy. It's economic futures for people. And it's also crime. Th- those are the issues. So what happens? Got a link to this story. Tim Michaels, who is, many people now believe he is the leading candidate, Republican candidate for governor. I'm not sure. I think it's... I think it, it could go either way between him and Rebecca Clayfish. But anyhow, you know, he's up making a campaign stop in Green Bay. And Republicans need to understand that anytime there, there's a media access, this is the gotcha question that reporters are going to ask. And the gotcha question is some version of, do you think that the 2020 election was stolen? And or would you overturn the 2020 election if you had the power to do it. So, you know, he's Michaels is up at this campaign event and some reporter asks him, well, you know, would you rule out um, overturning the 2020 election? And instead of saying, I'm, instead of just simply saying no, Tim Michael says, well, I need the details. I need to see the details before deciding whether I would support decertifying the 2020 election. I need to see the details. Now, here is what I sent out on Twitter. And if you saw this, if you follow me on Twitter at Jeff Wagner 620. But my comment was this. For the love of God, please, please stop going down these rabbit holes. Crime is out of control. The economy is a total mess. People are concerned about their futures. The 2020 election cannot be overturned. It can't. And it's stupid to not to just not say so and move on. 
Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. For every one of these Republican candidates that do not have the guts, and that's what it is, it's a lack of guts to say, well, if, if I if I say no, this is a stupid idea, it can't happen legally, gee, I'm going to upset some of the, the more ardent Trump voters who refuse to give this up, so I don't want to irritate them, so I'm going to make myself sound stupid for 85% of the rest of the electorate and say, well, I'd have to look at the details. Tim, it doesn't matter what details you look at. It can't happen. They're not going to frog march uh, Joe Biden out of the Oval Office and suddenly reach out to Mar-a-Lago and bring Donald Trump back. For God's sake, can't we move on? Do you have a death wish from an electoral perspective, 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm sorry, the 2020 election cannot be overturned. It's stupid to just not say that and move on. What do you think? 855-616-1620, we discuss. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, let, let's have a conversation, an honest conversation, earth to voters. Here's the deal. I don't care if you think the 2020 election was stolen or not. doesn't matter. don't care if you think that there needs to be monster electoral reform or not. Okay, that, that's fine. That is a separate conversation. This discussion about decertifying the 2020 election, it cannot happen legally. It is not going to happen in the real world. And you've got Republican candidates who should be winning in a walk, who are shooting themselves in the foot because they don't have the guts, and that's what's going on, to risk antagonizing some small core of hardcore Trump supporters by saying it isn't going to happen. And Tim Michaels is the latest guy to fall into that trap. He gives this interview where they say, hey, you know, would you support, if you get elected governor, would you support an effort to overturn the results of the last presidential election? Instead of just saying, no, it can't happen, it's crazy, he says, I'd need to see the details. Give me strength. 855-616-1620. Jim in Bayview. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Well, I'm a conservative, and I generally vote for Republican. But these two leading candidates on the GOP side for governor, they are so beholden to Trump and they're so afraid of ruffling his feathers if they say something he doesn't like that, you know, you just can't get a straight-out answer from these two folks. And not only that, I mean, the way I'm looking at it, these two, they are locked in on the past. And they're like you say, there's so many problems to zero in on right here. Yeah. Let's get into the forward future. Well, right. No, thank Let, let's talk about the issues that the voters want to talk about. Okay, the, the here, here's a note to Tim Michaels and Rebecca Clayfish. The hardcore Trump supporters, they're going to vote for you regardless. I mean, you don't have to get on the crazy train. You you can say, look, I want you, you, if you're going to win the election, you're going to win the election because you've convinced people that you can do a better job on the economy. You can do a better job on, on crime. You can do a better job. We've got Tony Evers, whose idea of crime can is to release half the people in the Wisconsin state prison system. These are issues you should be leading in the polls by 15 or 20 percent. But if you get bogged down in the past and, and go off on this election sideshow that makes you seem like you are a kook, and I understand why they're doing it. I, they're, they're doing it because they're afraid. They don't have the guts to say, gee, I might alienate some of the hardcore Trump voters if I say, 
look, I've got concerns about what happened in the 2020 election, but, you know, the, the way to fix that is to elect me and we'll change election laws moving forward for 2024 instead of saying, well, I'll have to look at what this, maybe I'll consider decertifying the election. It's not going to happen. There's no legal basis to do it. It can't happen. And you make yourself sound stupid by talking about it, period. Scott in South Milwaukee. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Good, yeah, good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for making my phone call. Yeah, sure. on, on this topic, like I said, off the get-go, I mean, I liked Tim Michaels as a candidate. I thought yeah. he brought it, I thought he was going to bring a good, a good, rational, whatever perspective to the race, whatever. And I liked whatever the fact that Tommy Thompson endorsed him. But these, but these statements that he's these waffling statements that he's making about about rescinding the election and then accepting the Donald Trump endorsement. I mean, just totally just blew me away from the guy. And as a primary opponent, Rebecca Clayfish, she's she's doing the playing the exact same dance. I mean, my take is is I'm just going to voting for Evers because he's the only rational one in the race, and it also whatever gives us balanced government in the state of Wisconsin. Well, the last thing we want is one party control again. Well, Scott, I don't know about that, but I, I do say that it's just a, a distraction. And of course, I, you know, on the one hand, it's easy to blame the media. These are the questions they're asking instead of, "Gee, you know what? What would you do different when Tony Evers talks about wanting to release half the people in the Wisconsin state prisons, or or let's talk about the governor's reaction to what happened in Kenosha?" Instead of talking about that, that the media asks, "Well, how do you feel about this?" And I mean, I, and, and instead of just simply saying it's a non-issue. And and being willing to take the, the momentary heat from some people who are kind of on the fringe and then be able to move on. It's, well, humana, 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 I have to think about it. What is there to think about? You cannot do it legally, period. And you got to move on. The candidates have to be looking towards the fo- moving forward. If you think that the election in Wisconsin was screwed up because of, you know, some of the things that they did in Milwaukee County or Dane County, the only, hear me on this, the only way you are going to change this is to change the election laws to make it really clear. And the only way that is going to happen for the people who believe that the laws need to be tightened, the only way that's going to happen is to elect a Republican governor. And so obsessing on, gee, what happened in 2020, that doesn't get you anywhere. But also, that's not what moves the needle. For goodness sakes, look at what's, talk to your friends, think about yourself. What What is your principal reason? And if you're like most people, now maybe you don't care about the economy. Maybe you don't care about gas prices. Maybe you don't care about food prices. Maybe all the rising costs of living doesn't impact you. Maybe you don't care that you're, um, what you were saving for retirement. You have 20% less than you did a year ago. Maybe that doesn't bother you, but it, it bothers most people. Those are the winning issues. It is the pocketbook issues. And it's just so frustrating to me to watch Republican candidates just get drawn into this rabbit hole for which they cannot they can't win they just can't win 855-616-1620 jeff i'm a firm believer if you vote for donald trump or anyone he supports in the fall election in 2024 that will automatically elect another democrat to um issues um Jeff, I'm getting tired of voting for a candidate because I'm voting against the other people. When are we going to get candidates actually worth voting for? Well, when the, the trick is you've got to be forward thinking. What are you going to do? Why do you want to be governor? What are you going to try to accomplish? And how can you make the lives of everyday citizens 
um, better. Jeff, while I feel the 2020 election was unfair and possibly fraudulent, we need to just move forward plain and simple. Too many current problems to address. Um, yes. You know, yes, that's exactly what I guess my point is. I'm a conservative voter, and any candidate that wants to consider the overturning the 2020 election will not get my vote, in part because it's not a realistic thing. You you cannot do it. I mean, game plan, scheme me out. I, I would say this to Clayfish. I would say this to Michaels. Scheme me out the scenario, and I don't even talk about the third guy because he might as well be wearing a tinfoil hat. Scheme me out the scenario where this happens. All right, you somehow... You somehow, all right, it's now January of 2023 or February of 2023. You are now in, in the state house. So what do you do? You try to figure out, you come up with some harebrained scheme. So you pull back the 10 electoral votes that went to Biden. Okay, well, that's not going to get you anywhere unless Michigan and Georgia and Arizona and a number of these other states do the same thing. It's It's just not going to be happening. It's... Get off the crazy train. Uh, Jeff, they ran that clip all day on the news yesterday. How stupid. Yes. he And Michaels played right into the hands of the reporters. And I'm not even kicking the reporters. They, they, they know that this is... This is a question which, if you answer it in the fashion that Michael's answered it, it's hopping on the crazy train and it makes you look like you are playing to the the fringe. Because if you say, I'm going to consider overturning the election without then explaining how you think that that could happen. Jeff, how long are candidates going to keep talking about this? Like you said, there are so many actual issues to be talked about. How is this still relevant? Extremists on both sides of the aisle are preventing the government from actually handling problems by shifting focus from things like crime, inflation, etc. Jeff, you nailed it on Michaels. It makes him look like to be a puppet of a false narrative. Um, Yes, Jeff, as we've almost heard for two years, are the details, are we no details on the 2020 election? Um, Yes, I mean, this, this is the factor. And I, I say this to Republican candidates all over. This could be a great year, no question about it, electorally. But if you continue to obsess on the 2020 election, you make yourself sound crazy. You alienate yourself from the mainstream voters that you're going to need to win. So hop off the crazy train. Yeah, it's the silly season out there with politics. Wisconsin State Fair just around the corner, and you know what that means. Cream puffs. Lucky for you, WTMJ has your chance to get your hands on some for free. The Cream Puff of Palooza is back. Now, I'm not going to be out at State Fair early in the morning this year because I'm doing our listener trip to Alaska then. Um, but mark your calendars because starting Monday, all you need to do is head to WTMJ.com or text the word PUFF to the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620 and register for a six-pack of delicious cream puffs. It's the Cream Puff Apalooza from the Wisconsin State Fair and WTMJ. Okay, one one final thought on what we were talking about the first half hour. This this the, the, just the craziness where you have some Republican candidates for governor who, for example, are saying, "Well, you know, we 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 might look at decertifying the 2020 election. It cannot be done." One of our texters says, "Jeff, well, you're talking about Clayfish and Michaels. Why isn't Tim Rantham, the third candidate, in the discussion?" 
And my response was because he's nuts and he's polling at less than 3%. <laughs> Tim Rantham is running. He's he's making his whole campaign on the crazy train. That That's what he's all about. We're going to decertify the election. Tim, it can't happen. It just flat can't happen. Take the tinfoil hat off and figure out what voters really care about, which is, again, crime. And it's the economy. And it's their personal finances. And it's things like that. But the crazy train, like I say, isn't just limited to Republican candidates. Let us switch to the Democratic candidates for U.S. Senate and one of the cultural issues that are out there. Now, I understand that things just kind of get complex I, I get it that you know there, there's some stuff that we just have trouble grasping our our hand, get our heads around. But maybe I'm just simple and straightforward. But here's the bottom line: you have men and women, and men and women are 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 just biologically different. And there's some things that you know men do, and there's some things that women do. And one of the things that women do is women have babies. That that's that's it. Women have babies. Okay. I go back to any biology class and, you know, in they'll, they'll you know, you go through the history of, you know, how how people make babies. And, you know, you've got the sperm and you've got the egg and all that stuff. But the bottom line is it is the women that have the babies. That is, of course, what's propelling this huge conversation about the abortion issue and my body, my choice or whatever. But to have babies, you have to be a woman. Period. But somehow in 2022, we have gone completely around the bend and you can't you can't say that. Now, there was a a debate. One of the um, the the senator from uh, Missouri is named Josh Josh Hawley, and and he's in some debate with a University of California, Berkeley law professor. And she um, she refuses to acknowledge that it, it is women that get pregnant. And so what she, to refer to, instead of just saying it's women that get pregnant, she is referring to people, You say she's saying, using the phrase, people with a capacity for pregnancy. You can't say, hey, it's a woman's right to choose. You can't say it's a woman that gets an abortion. You now have to say, People with a capacity for pregnancy are the ones that get an abortion. And Hawley, the senator, just starts mocking her for being on the crazy train and politically correct, to which then you you get the response, oh, you're transphobic. You know, you're transphobic. How dare you say that men cannot get pregnant? Well, biological men cannot get pregnant. Now, see, here's the, I mean, the, 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 basic debate about this in the phrase I use is, look, I I have no question and I have no problem with people who are transgender. I understand that you have men that are biologically male, but you know that they're they're the females trapped in a male body and and vice versa. I, I understand that. But in order to give birth, you need to be a biological female, pure and simple. But yet you apparently can't say that in 2022. So now that we've got this culture war issue. So responding to this, somebody asks, OK, well, well, Senator Johnson, you would, what do you think about this? Do you think only women can get pregnant? And he says, it's just insane. I mean, Democrats, as I said before, are so detached from reality and they're trying to force those type of falsehoods on the rest of us. Like, no, we should all believe that men can get pregnant, too. They can't. I mean, women get pregnant and God bless them for getting pregnant. So that's what that's what Johnson says. 
So, in fairness, reporter in the story I'm looking at goes out and they contact the various Democrats who are running for Senate. And they ask them the simple question, hey, can only women get pregnant? Now, you would think that this would be a simple thing, because the answer is yes, only biological females can get pregnant. But, of course, you can't say this, especially if you are a Democrat running for office. They ask all four of the candidates, Mandela Barnes, Alex Lazary, Sarah Godlewski, and uh, out of Gamey County, Tom, Executive Tom Nelson. They all ask him a, a relatively simple question. You know, what do you think about this? Can only women get pregnant? And none of them will give him a straight answer. Godlewski says Republicans are trying to deflect from the fact that they just ripped away a right from half of all Wisconsinites. Then they ask the follow-up. No, no. Does Sarah Godlewski believe groups besides women can become pregnant? No answer. Uh, Tom Nelson they ask him that. He refuses to answer that and a follow-up question. Lazary and Barnes, they don't even respond to questions for comment. So just like the Republicans, I think, shoot themselves in the foot by not recognizing that the 2020 election has come and gone, we've now got to a point that the four major Democrats who are running against for the right to run against Ron Johnson in November, not a single one of them can simply come out and say, no, women get pregnant. In in our in our world, it is the women that get pregnant because they are, I guess, afraid that a biological female who identifies as a male could be offended if he subsequently becomes pregnant. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I mean, and you can't even talk about this because then you get to be accused of, of transphobic. But is, isn't there a degree of basic biology here? And is Ron Johnson out on some limb when he says, no, we should all believe that men can get pregnant too? Question mark. They can't. I mean, women get pregnant. I mean, but yet in 2022, that's not the case. 855-616-1620. And you've got Democrat politicians who are so afraid of the fringe voters on their side that they're afraid to say, no, it, it's women that, that get pregnant. And we can't say pregnant women anymore. We have to say people with a capacity for pregnancy. What the you know what is that? We discuss. <laughs> kind of funny i've got some of our liberal listeners who are tra- who are on the text line. don't talk about this you know no, nobody cares about this well it, it's okay th- this is the crazy train that the democrats are hopping on as well that you have the four major democratic candidates for senate none of them can come out and say women get pregnant it, it's well we, we don't we don't want to answer that that question um people with a capacity for pregnancy ron johnson he's like it's insane i mean people are detached from reality men cannot get pregnant women get pregnant now i i, I don't know I, I never thought that this would be a, a political issue because i never thought anybody would try to argue something other than that brad brad you're on wtmj good afternoon good afternoon uh, I teach high school biology and anatomy. I always tell my students it's really simple. A female, by definition of a human species, is someone who has an XX chromosome. A male has an XY. No matter what you do later on in life, if you decide to change genders, you have operations done, the female of the species, I always use the word female, gives birth. No matter what you do. So later on, if you're in a crime scene and they find a blood splatter, they're going to determine that based upon that blood, this person is a female or a male. And when we think otherwise, we get off on a crazy train like you're saying, and it's, it's totally 
Yeah. Idiotic. Well, well, right, and, and all because we we don't want to have have some you know group that that gets offended. To me, this has nothing to do with the issue of the whole transgender question. Like like you're saying, you have people who are born biologically as a male or biologically as a female, and if they identify as a member of the other sex, there's all sorts of things they can do. Nobody's arguing with that. But they, if you're biologically a male, you can't have babies. You know, period. It. it I, how did that get controversial, Brad? Well, that's what I'm trying to say. And when I try going through things, kids like to bring up seahorses. The male carries the fertilized eggs, but again, the female has to have the egg. The male has the sperm. In every species of plant that has sexually reproducing organs, I tell kids, trees have sex. Understand the fact that there's a male and a female part. And as we're talking about simple things like this, it shouldn't be that hard a question to answer. And for a candidate not to come out and, and, and take a position and understand biology, I guess I'd like to know how they survived in high school. <laughs> Thank, thanks for the call. Right. It, it, it's this. Um, Jeff, although this might, issue might not be the most pressing, I hope reporters continue with this line of questions to expose the left's crazy ideology they have. Right. To me, that's what this is. It, it's such a it, it's just uh, this kowtowing to the, this political correctness. And I, I, it's been going this way, but it's gotten worse over the last several years. And again, I just I, I can't. Imagine. We've now gotten to the point that the four major candidates running to be the Democratic nominee for U.S. Senator None of them is willing to answer the simple question, gee, can, can someone other than women get pregnant? And, well, we're, we're, we're not going to answer that. Ron Johnson doesn't want people getting abortions. Well, okay, that, that wasn't what the question was. And the reason is, just like it's the reason, as I was arguing in the last half hour, where I think some Republican candidates who know better, they don't want to antagonize the Donald Trump faction by saying, no, we can't decertify the 2020 election. You've got these other candidates who I assume, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to assume that you can't accomplish what they have accomplished over their life and, and be stupid. So the, the fact that they're refusing to answer a very simple question and say, well, we're not willing to come out and say that it's only women that can get pregnant tells me that they are afraid that there is just, again, a fringe element of their party who they will irritate or turn off if they just come out and say what we all know to be the case, namely that the biology controls, period. As long as we are discussing crazy, and we, we talked about this earlier this week, I sent out a tweet about it as well, but it, it, it's getting even more nuts. And the, what the media focuses on, and you want to talk about missing the forest for the trees, last Saturday morning, there was a shootout at El Rey Mexican Grocery Store, right on Cesar Chavez Drive. All right, a security guard was shot and killed by a guy who was then shot and killed by another security guard. All right, here... here here, here's the deal. The man who was the shooter was a guy who was profiled a year and a half ago on Fox 6 as being one of Milwaukee's most wanted. He was a federal fugitive in uh, with alleged responsibility for as part of the Meineke Buffum Street Gang, a violent drug gang. He was a fugitive. He ended up getting caught. He was facing all sorts of federal and state charges. Once he was finally caught, and I think he was on the run for the better part of a year, some some state judge let him out on $5,000 bail. He 
by the way, is a multiple felon going back like 15 years. So he's not allowed to legally own guns. He was a fugitive. They put him on some stupid low bail. He jumps bail. So he is a fugitive. He is a convicted felon. Last Saturday morning, the convicted felon fugitive on the run, wearing a ski mask and carrying a backpack, walks into the El Rey grocery store. Now, first of all, it's July. Can, can I see a show of hands? Is there anybody out there that thinks that somebody who walks into a grocery store in the middle of July wearing a ski mask is going to get some sort of attention? Don't you want that person to get some sort of attention? All right. It's not January. It's July. On top of that, he's carrying a backpack. The grocery store has a rule that you can't bring backpacks in. And if you think about it, it's probably, I don't know if it's because of shoplifting or because of security concerns or whatever, but they've got a rule. You can't bring backpacks in. The guy refuses to surrender. He refuses to put his backpack down. And an altercation ensues with the security guards who then get him out into the parking lot. At that point in time, at least according to police, the guy produces a gun. Did I mention that he's a convicted felon in addition to being a fugitive? And he shoots one of the security guards and one of the security guards shoots him. It seems to me pretty straightforward. The, the, The whole idea that he's a convicted felon out on bail has been substantially downplayed by the media for reasons that you can only go figure. The family of the Again, the fugitive convicted felon, they're saying, well, we're going to file a civil rights lawsuit. Good good luck with, with that. I mean, good luck with that. But the media, instead of focusing on the obvious question about what was this convicted felon fugitive doing with a gun, wearing a ski mask, walking in the store, I'm looking at a story on Fox 6. I'm looking at a story in the paper. All right. Um, they're focusing on private security. You know, gee, the, the security guard shot the guy. Yeah, the security guard shot a convicted felon who was fleeing. He was on the lam. He was armed. He came into this grocery store wearing a ski mask, and then he refused to leave, so they had to get him out in the parking lot. And then in part of an altercation, he shoots one of the security guards, and he's shot in return. And the issue is we're focusing on private security guards and their training. Well, we should be darn glad that you had those security guards that were there. Again, you've got the mainstream media that's refusing to confront. The the fundamental issue is, why was this guy out on bail in the first place after he finally got caught? What was he doing illegally possessing a gun? What was his purpose in walking into the grocery store wearing a ski mask? And yet, oh, what's, what's the training of the private security guards? Well, the private security guards may very well have stopped a mass murder. And that's the question that we should be focusing on. But in what passes for the media around here, it doesn't happen. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Greg Matzik, before you leave, the British Open, or now we call it the Open, is going on now, the, the fourth major, the final major of the year. But again, the, the story, you mentioned Tiger Woods, off to a rough start, that's correct. He's, he's five over par. But just to give people a perspective on how rough a start that is, there are 156 golfers who are playing. Tiger Woods at five over par is tied for 145th. There, so there, there's only like 10 or 11 golfers that are doing worse 
than, than he is. So. Yeah, I, you know, his first birdie didn't come until hole number nine. His first double bogey was hole number one. So he just got off to a bad start and was never really able to recover. Uh, he's actually walking around okay, uh, if from my viewpoint anyway. doesn't appear to be in any pain. He's just not hitting good shots. Do you think? Okay, so let's let's say this continues, and let's say he finishes where where he is five over par, six over par, whatever. No hope of making the cut. Do you think he plays tomorrow? I think he does because I think this could be his last time playing in the Open in St. Andrews. And and, oh, yeah. and, and and just listening to him talk and watching some of the TV coverage, Jeff, it, it it it's almost like he's treating this weekend or this week as perhaps his last time playing at St. Andrews. If he's ever going to win another major, the Open Championship is it. I think that's his only shot because you can be a, a, a really good iron player and hit one 300 yards in the conditions, fast and firm. If you're a little downwind, it doesn't favor a bomber, the Open Championship, typically, especially at St. Andrews where he's won twice. It's such a special place to Tiger and really everybody who's a fan of golf. I, I think he gets everything he can out of himself, even if it means he's you know ten over par at the end of round two. Yeah, just to give you a perspective, I mean, to make the cut, he'd probably have to jump over oh about sixty golfers right now. Because my guess is the cut I'm looking at is probably going to be around even par. Yeah, uh, you know, and, and conditions are going to be right for scoring. It appears it, it doesn't look mm-hmm. like wind is going to be a major factor throughout the weekend. Uh, it is a little bit this afternoon, but you see eight under par from the morning wave of tee times. Everybody's out there trying to chase that number, and all of a sudden the cut line becomes a little bit more yeah. uh, elevated, and that's going to be tough for Tiger. John Daly, John, who's a train wreck. John Daly, he's one over bar. One over bar. <laughs> yeah, Still got that short game. <laughs> and, he's, and he's just an absolute train wreck and stuff. Well, it'll be interesting to see. And I, it, it is, I, I just, my take on it, it's kind of like the end of an era. And I, I, after you looked at that horrific car crash that he was involved in, what, a year and a half ago or so, I think there was huge questions about, first of all, he was going to survive it. And secondly, you know, was he ever going to really walk again, much less be able to play golf? Yeah, so, or, or keep his leg. Right. Uh, that was a discussion at some point. You know, I, th- I think he sat out the U.S. Open knowing that his only shot to win another major would come at the Open Championship. I think he's prepared himself as best as he possibly can, given his condition, and he just got off to a terrible start. Do you think... Once he hits 50, do you see him playing in some of the senior tour events, or do you just kind of... Yeah, that's going to be interesting. You, you know, I, you can you can make a great living that way. Tiger's really not at the point of his career where he, he needs to be thinking about that yet. If he wants to walk away from golf, he certainly can. Right. Uh, and he could be his son Charlie's biggest champion following him around. But uh, golf will, will never be over. He'll always play in these majors, but... I, I just don't see him coming to the MFAM Championship in Madison. Right, yeah, I'm, I'm with you You know on what that I mean? I, yeah. I just don't picture that. He'll, he'll have exemptions wherever he wants to go and play. Right. But he's going to be a major golfer, I think, and that's about it once he gets to that age of 50. Yeah, I think you're probably correct. Well, anyways, that's the Open Championship. It is going on. What a great event, yeah. though, isn't it? Oh, yeah, and you get, I mean, it started like 2 o'clock in the morning for people yeah. who are really hardcore. <laughs> you, you set could, your because alarm? Of the time. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and there's 156 players, and because it's it's staged when it is, it stays light forever. So, I mean, yep. you know, you're going to have people. I, the, the guy that used to be the starter, I, you know, who would say, okay, group number one, and we've got Greg Matzik and Jeff Wagner or whatever, he, he retired two or three years ago, but his thing was he never took a break. 
So, I mean, he never drank water because he, he was there for like 12 hours just starting people, and he, he never took a break, and he refused to go to the bathroom. So you don't want to be ingesting water if you're sitting there at your perch every seven minutes. Well, if you want to have a good night tonight, maybe catch a nap later this afternoon, watch the Brewers game, just stay up right through, catch round two of the, of the Open Championship as it begins. Okay, see, that's a good idea. I'm off tomorrow. I've got my Juneteenth holiday, and so I'm playing golf at, with some friends at like 9.30 in the morning. So I could just... Just, I'm, I'm taking my brother and the kids out to dinner tonight. My wife's in Florida. And so then I can just, I'll get be home in time. I watch the Brewers game. Just segue right into the British Open, the Open Championship, and then go right to the golf course. It's perfect, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, I got your next 24 hours mapped out, Jeff. You have fun. That's right. Okay, we've got that. All right. Um, gee, what a surprise. Let us completely and totally switch gears. You will remember perhaps the story from 2018 and... The well, the the ever politically correct folks at Starbucks. The story was out of out of Starbucks in Philadelphia, April twelfth. What happened is there were two black men who were waiting. They weren't buying anything. They were kind of camped out in a Starbucks store. The manager came up and you know asked them. If they were going to purchase something, they, they said no, that they weren't, that they were just waiting. Manager asked him to leave. They refused to leave. He ended up calling the police, and the guys got arrested for trespassing. And as it turns out, the, the folks that were just sitting there not buying anything, they were they were waiting for somebody else to come to a meeting. So this became this huge cause celeb, if you will recall, and Starbucks was accused of racism and things like this. And the response that Starbucks had after after this happened was to announce a policy, and I quote, any customer is welcome to use Starbucks spaces, including our restaurants, our restrooms, cafes, and patios, regardless of whether they make a purchase. So the argument was Starbucks is going to let anybody who wants come in and, and sit in the, the restaurant. They can use the bathroom. They do not have to buy anything. They can just be there for as long as they want. And I can remember at the time this happened, we, we had a conversation, and it was like, okay, what can possibly go wrong with this? You know, the, the idea that you are going to essentially turn your place of business into the, the equivalent of, I guess, the, the, the public library. And, you know, what is this going to mean and how is it going to work out when you have, you know, at the end of the day, Starbucks is in business. Starbucks's business is to sell overpriced coffee and it's to sell like all the the sweet rolls they have and stuff like that. That's what Starbucks is there for. They're there to make money. And the question is... Okay, what's going to happen to these various Starbucks if you say, all right, we're going to take space that would normally be reserved for paying customers, and we're going to say to anybody, hey, come in here and hang out. You know, it's it's January. It's cold in downtown Philadelphia. Well, you know, just, just come on in. Sit at all the tables and things like that. How is that going to translate when you have people who actually want to come in and patronize the place, and they want to sit down? How is that all going to work out? Well, okay, but that was Starbucks. They're hip and happening, and they're politically correct, and that's the what they implemented. So here's the story today. Starbucks is closing 16 locations due to worker-customer safety fears. 
Starbucks is closing 16 stores in cities around the country, citing fears that its customers and workers were unsafe. Despite training the company uses in skills like conflict, de-escalation, dealing with an active shooter, and how to engage community and emergency services. We are closing stores in some locations that have experienced a high volume of challenging incidents that make it difficult to create a safe and welcoming environment. Uh, Spokesman told the Washington Post, the closures involve locations in Los Angeles, Seattle, Portland, Philadelphia, and the Union Station store in Washington, D.C. Although they declined to specify individual incidents, they did acknowledge workers have encountered a deluge of problems, some related to drug use, mental health, and racism in the neighborhoods they serve. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Two observations. First of all, what a surprise. I mean, what what a, a surprise that you open up, you try to do business in certain areas, and then you tell the employees, well, we're going to put these limits on you. We're, we're not going to, we're going to open up the stores. Anybody can sit anywhere they want. Um, you don't have to be a paying customer to come in. And then, you know, we, we wonder that now they have to turn around and they have to start closing stores because this whole pie-in-the-sky thing of, here, let's all sit around and be kumbaya and let's be like the equivalent of, a, I don't know, a, you know, the, a public park. Gee, what could possibly go wrong with that? Secondly, I guess from a customer perspective, there is no way that I would be patronizing a store where you have a good portion of the people that are just there hanging out. I mean, if I'm going into a store, the the last thing to to buy something, and I've got all these different choices that are out there, and I want to sit down, and I've got a half hour to kill, and I want to use Wi-Fi, the last thing I want to do is say, okay, I can't get space in the place because there's all these people that are just kind of hanging out there. Secondly, can you imagine if the employees have decided that this policy has led to people like being unsafe? Can you imagine if that's how the employees feel, what the customers are feeling? 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I am not surprised Starbucks is closing these various locations. My guess is that they will close more. But you know what? I think a lot of this can be traced back to this dumb policy that they implemented three or four years ago in their effort to be politically correct. Look, restaurants, places of business, don't they have to control who is in there? And from the perspective of looking out for your employees and your paying customers, don't you have to have some control? This is the equivalent of open borders in a retail setting, and it's not working. 855-616-1620, we discuss. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Starbucks, which made a big deal about three years ago of saying, hey, we're going to open up our stores, come sit Hang out. It's going to be the equivalent of a public park. You don't have to buy anything. You can use our restrooms. Well, gee, what could go wrong with that? They just announced this week they're closing 16 locations due to worker customer safety fears. Huh. Gee, who would have thought? Let's start with Chris in Cedarburg. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. You know, this really gets my goat. Um, I find myself sitting with my dogs in my Tahoe, um, you know, on a back road. (laughs) to chill because I don't you, you first of all the bathrooms are filthy now at uh, Starbucks with the with the mix 
um, what's happening. And second of all, it's just like, do working people have anywhere to go where they can just relax and chill and, and not have to worry about um, mental issues with other patrons or that type of thing? I mean, it's, it's, it's disgusting. It just it, I'm so angry because there's, but like I said, I sit with my two dogs on a back row, <laughs> you know, listening to TMZ. That's what I do, you well, know, because I, I don't want to go into places like this because of of this. Because they do take up and they don't leave. Okay, right. they do not leave. Well, right. I mean, I guess. I mean, thanks for the call, uh, Chris. I, I appreciate it. I, you know, look, I, I'm not a Starbucks guy, but I, I, I have been to Starbucks, and generally speaking, when I've gone to Starbucks, it's either been I, I want to get a cup of coffee and I'm going to take it out, so I'm going to stand in line to get it. But there have been times when I've gone to to meet people and to sit and have conversations. And that that's if I'm going to spend as much money as it costs to buy a cup of coffee at Starbucks, I, I want to be able to sit at a table and I want to have the conversation. But then after we finish after we we finish our coffees, we're we're going to leave and, and go about our lives. I do understand that there's some people who you know use those. Um, use their cafes is that's the place where they go to work and that's that's kind of an issue as to you know do they have to buy stuff or can you just say okay I'm going to go to this restaurant and I'm going to take up a table and I'm going to use it as my workspace but this is I would hope that the people who do that at least feel obligated to buy at least one cup of coffee or something like that but this is the whole next step which is we're just going to let people hang out there and clearly they, they tried it I understand it's the it's the woke philosophy you know we want to be this general we want to be like a public park but they're not a public park they are a business, and obviously this is not working out in some areas because the type of people that the store is attracting is off-putting and dangerous. That's what they're saying. They just think it's it's dangerous. It's unsafe to do this in some areas, and rather than, I guess, change their philosophy and get a security guard or rather than simply say, no, you know, if you're going to come in here, you, you've got to buy something, their philosophy has been we're going to close the store, <laughs> which I – I mean, oh, okay, that's an interesting reaction to that. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Mike. Uh, my comment is uh, go back to the sign on the door that says no loitering. Yeah, I, and I think most people would understand I mean, that's, that. That's, that's really it, you know. That's really it, the issue. I, I, I think most people would – thanks for call, Mike. I mean, I think most people would, would appreciate that. I mean, it's, it is a place – of business, you you nailed it. I mean, and it's you you wouldn't expect somebody to just be able to walk into any store and just kind of loiter around. And Starbucks made the decision because it is obsessed with political correctness. I mean, remember this is the place where they had the baristas and they encouraged them to write little sayings on on people's uh, like their little woke sayings on, on people's coffee cups and stuff. And and my response was always just just give me my coffee. You know, I with, with all due respect, I mean, maybe the barista has an interesting worldview and things like that. Maybe I'd love to sit down with him after you know after he gets off or she gets off of work and have a conversation. But when I'm waiting in line, I, I don't. Don't want to necessarily be preached to by some barista about you know what they think about the war in the Ukraine. Just make my coffee for goodness sakes and, and let me get out of here. But Starbucks, I mean, this is the philosophy of Starbucks. We want we have this kind of utopian view. Well, that utopian view meets reality, and in this case, Starbucks closing multiple locations. And my guess is it's going to be more because 
they found that, gee, what happens? We go woke and we can't guarantee worker or customer safety. What a surprise. When you're responding to stuff, Alex, do you ever use like the emojis, like the smiley face emoji or the heart emoji or things like that? I or? try not to send just the emoji, right. but I'll use it as I'm like enhancing what I'm texting. Well, well yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. There was, there's, there's this one that's always kind of problematic to me. Um, before, and I just, I just used it and I responded to somebody on our, on our uh, text line. And it's the, the thumbs up. They, they were, they offered <laughs> something and I went, but the, the way the thumbs up is, it is a thumbs up, but the way they have it, you, you can't, necessarily tell that it's a thumb it, it could be a different finger because of just the way this position and i'm always thinking i i hope people recognize that this is i am using the thumbs up emoji as opposed to you know a, another emoji for example which you know? i think they do have now they i do think have that other that. one is an emoji right, they, they do so i mean it's but it's all I, I sent that off and i said i hope that person realizes that that was the thumbs up emoji because they, they have the thumb remarkably towards the middle of the person's hand that's all i was just thinking but it's just like huh Maybe you could just not use the emoji, but that would be too much work. When we come back, where did all your dough go? Let's have a conversation. I have always been conflicted about Tiger Woods as, as a as a golfer. I'm, first of all, he, he's arguably maybe the greatest golfer to ever play the game, and I think you know he's that did so much to revitalize the game of golf and bring new fans in and stuff. And I think he gets a, a lot of credit for that. Just an incredibly talented golfer. Um, in his personal life, kind of a disaster. And I think it was one, it, the more you find out about it, particularly like a younger Tiger, he's um, led a lifestyle that was completely contrary to what his image was. I mean, his, his image is this really kind of nice, quote-unquote, golden boy, which was just completely untrue and there's a lot about his, his personal life that you know was just kind of a train wreck and was um actually reprehensible so i've always been conflicted about tiger woods i appreciate his his talent there's no question about it but it does seem like he's kind of coming to the end of the road he is the british open the open championship going on right now we were talking about this earlier with greg matzik um he is six over par through 13 holes to give you a perspective that's He's in a tie for 147th. There are 156 total golfers. So he's he he's only nine from the worst score. He's uh, let's see, 14 shots off the lead. What they do in these in these golf tournaments is they have the cut, and I don't know if it's the top 60 or the top 72 or and and ties. But he's he's way away from that. I mean, he'd have to. Just to get even close to making the cut, he'd have to go on a real hot streak, and he'd have to jump over about at least fifty golfers, I would say. So I think the real question is going to be: Is he going to um, is he going to play tomorrow if he finishes this far off? And I mean, I think it's it's a miracle in many respects that he's given the car accident collision that he was in about a year and a half ago. It's it's amazing that he's alive. It's amazing that he's walking. It's amazing that he's playing golf, much less playing championship level golf. But if this continues and he's got a couple holes to turn it around, but if he doesn't and he finishes, you know, with with only seven or eight golfers ahead behind him, you kind of wonder: Do you just kind of pack it in? Uh, we will see. All right. Now the good news. Let's see. Let's try to give us a little bit of good news. The good news is that the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 124 points, and the Nasdaq is up 17. 
And you might say, wait a second, Jeff, what are you talking about? The, the Dow's down 127. You're saying that's good news. Well, it's good news because the Dow at one point today was down over 600 points and the NASDAQ was down over 200 points. So it, it's made a comeback. What's driving, the, and this will be assuming the Dow doesn't get back into positive territory, this will be like the sixth day in a row that it's had a decline. And I'm not telling you anything when I tell you that, you know, the, 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 we have lost trillions of dollars in paper money. That is, you know, re- retirement assets and stuff have just dis- disappeared with the debacle that has been going on in the stock market. And there's a lot of stuff going on. There's the uncertainty in the war in Ukraine. There is inflation, which is just absolutely out of control. Now you're starting to see that the concerns in the economy, the fact that the Federal Reserve is raising interest rates, um, that's now starting to affect corporate earnings. Corporations are coming in less than their their projected earnings, and that's driving the market. And it's just it's just all a big old pile of nasty, which is again costing average investors, you know, fortunes. I mean, relative fortunes. And I understand that there's some people say, well, people shouldn't be worried about it. The stock market always comes back. Well, yeah, that that's that's true. And yes, people will say, well, the, you know, you have to understand the stock market goes up and down. It does. But I think what surprised a lot of people is how fast the stock market went down and how much it's gone down. And I think that's what's getting people's attention. Plus the idea that, yes, historically, if you've got a 20 or 30 year or 40 year time frame, yes, the stock market comes back. But for people who are in retirement or people who are nearing retirement to see just, like I say, trillions of dollars just disappear, you know, people who thought, gee, I'm ready to retire and I've got a million dollars that I've spent my entire life savings. And then boom, in the matter of months, that million dollars has now become, I don't know, $700,000. You might say, well, you still got $700,000. But when you project out, you know, what you need to retire and what you need to live on, well, that, 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 that has a significant impact. On top of that, you have the rising costs that it's paying, that we're paying more for everything. The news yesterday was U.S. inflation hit a new four-decade high, 9.1%. Here's what the Wall Street Journal says. U.S. consumer inflation rose to a new four-decade high at an annual rate of 9.1% in June, extending a a year-and-a-half stretch of persistently higher prices. Now, Joe Biden, he... About a year ago, he, he talked to the American public and he said, this is transitory. We, we think it's going to be over by December. Well, it's not only wasn't it over by December, it's gotten dramatically worse. The consumer price, the Wall Street Journal continues, the consumer price index's rate of increase last month was the highest since December of 1981, the Labor Department said Wednesday. It also equi- eclipsed May's annual rate of 8.6% that led the Federal Reserve officials to shift to a faster pace of benchmark interest rates. And then the other news that's out there today is wholesale prices, not just inflation, but the producer price index, which um, you know measures wholesale prices, that's um, up 11.3% from a year ago in June. It is near the record 11.6% posted in March. So you've got that going on. The cost of stuff continues to go up and up and up. On top of that, what you're also seeing is that workers 
who have received raises. I mean, that's one of the things that's going on. Workers have received raises, but the raises haven't been able to keep up with inflation. And the estimates are when it comes to at least actual purchasing power, um, average real weekly earnings are down 4.4% in the last 12 months. So what that means is, you know, you got a raise, and, and that's great. You know, you're making $1,000 more, but if the cost of living has gone up, and let's say you're, you're making $1,000 more a month, but to buy the stuff that you used to buy now costs you, you know, $1,200, you've actually lost ground, and, and that's what they are finding. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Periodically on this program, I, I like to take your temperature because I, I think there was a moment where we, we just, we've been all shocked at how prices have increased, how much stuff has cost and, and how that has increased and how fast that has increased. But now that that reality is setting in, that these these price increases really aren't a transitory thing. They're they're really they're here. I don't know if they're here permanently. Now I understand gas prices have gone down about fifty cents a gallon over the course of the last couple of weeks, and 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 it, it's better that we're paying four forty nine a gallon than five dollars and eight cents. It, it's better. But there's no way that I think any of us are celebrating paying four dollars and forty nine cents a gallon for for gasoline, even though that that's better than five oh eight. But the bottom line is the, these higher prices are appear to be here, if not to stay permanently, they're, they're here for a while, and I know they have to be impacting on you. Our number is eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So between the hits to the stock market, your nest age egg shrinking. And the cost of living skyrocketing. How is this impacting you? 855-616-1620. We discuss. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, um, I'm fortunate enough to not be affected by inflation. Huh, that, now, let me just stop there. I'll, I'll read the rest of the text. But that, that's kind of interesting because it's like, how how can you not be affected by inflation? Because everybody is infect, affected by inflation. Now, for, for some people, if you have more assets, it's not as big a deal, I, I guess, because you're, you're, you're still – you know, going to be willing to, you're going to spend what you're going to spend. But I guess I just don't understand how anybody cannot be affected by inflation. Jeff, we're fortunate enough to not be affected. We don't have kids and both have great jobs. I'm a software developer. My wife is a nurse. Our salaries are significantly higher than they were last year. I know salaries are up in a lot of fields. Well, salaries are up, but uh, again, for for most people, what they're finding is that the salaries haven't kept pace with the ri- with inflation. But I think, I mean, I guess that's great if if you're in a position where you don't it doesn't matter that you know gasoline is up two dollars a gallon over you know where it was 250 a couple years ago or you know when you go to the grocery store you know bacon is 10 bucks instead of five bucks or, or whatever i but i don't i think that pretty much affects everybody now it might hurt some people more than others and there's no question inflation is what we call regressive in that it impacts low income people more significantly than higher income people or people with higher assets that might be the better way to put it because again if you've i don't know if you're at a certain financial position in your life you don't like 
paying 450 for a gallon of gas, but you do it and it doesn't necessarily change your lifestyle. On the other hand, if you are not as economically stable and you're living from paycheck to paycheck and you have to make these choices, gee, you know, I've got to take the kids to school and I've got to get back to work and that, that extra $20 I'm shelling out on gas, that makes a difference. And then I go to the grocery store and my groceries are what I used to spend $100 on. Now it costs me 140 At some point in time, you've got to start making, you know, cuts and it does impact you. It impacts everybody, but it particularly impacts the people who have, have less assets. Let's start with Nick in West Dallas. Nick, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, long time. Let's glad to get on. But uh, my thing is, if you remember a year, two years ago, it was always the push of $15 an hour. And like yourself and everybody said, all it's going to do is everything's going to raise in cost, right? Inflation. But now it's like turnkey. Look exactly what happened. Everybody gets paid $13, $15 an hour. Everything just costs more. Yep. So it, it's that simple economics. You know You know what I mean? We said this. Years ago, if you raise the, everything will just cost. That cheeseburger at McDonald's says a dollar will be two. Well, you got your three dollar raise. Well, right, but you can't afford anything extra. Well, right. That that's the. I mean, th- thanks for calling, Nick. That that's the insidious thing about inflation. You, you talked about McDonald's, and I I used this example a while ago. I I don't go to McDonald's very often, and that that's just the honest truth and I, my wife's in florida so she's not listening I, i'm not sure if she's listening over the internet or not but you know i I'm, she does she wants me to eat more healthy and so i i try to avoid that but there was a time of several weeks ago and i i just it was one of those things where it was after after the show and i was hungry and i hadn't had lunch and i wasn't going to have dinner for later so i i, I run through mcdonald's and i go through the drive through window and I, I could be slightly off on this, but just slightly off. So I order, you know, one of their, their combo meals. You know, I'll have the quarter pounder with cheese, extra value meal. Give me a Diet Coke and give me French fries. And it was like nine bucks. It was like nine bucks. And, you know, I mean, I think it, it wasn't that long ago that it was like six bucks. And, I mean, I understand everything costs more and nobody's holding my gun to my head saying you got to go through the drive through window and do this. But I'm like, wow, how do that? This is like eight or nine bucks just for, you know, this. How does how does a family, how does mom and dad who, you know, have the three kids and they're going to the soccer games on Saturday and they want to take the kids to get something quick, go through the drive through window. How do you and if it's costing me, you know, eight or nine dollars, you know, you're talking about what a trip to McDonald's. That's that's like thirty five or forty bucks for you know the the three kids in the car and the mom and dad. I mean, it's like where where is that money coming from? And to your point, Nick, and I know I've told this story before, but I I have a, a very good friend who owns a series of fast food restaurants. I mean, dozens and dozens of fast food restaurants, and he's always amused when we have this conversation about minimum wage because you know that. For a lot of places, with the labor market being what it is, you you, you can't pay minimum wage because because you're not you're not going to get anybody that's going to come in and, and take a job at minimum wage. So you're automatically starting people well above what the minimum wage is, and then hoping that they they come back again. So I mean, it doesn't matter that the minimum wage is like eight dollars an hour or whatever it is. I mean, you you go even at a lot of these fast food places, you look in their advertising and saying we're starting people at twelve dollars an hour or whatever, and then you can go up quickly from there. But that's the bottom line. It costs that the retailers. You know, they're, they have to pass those costs on. And I was looking at diesel fuel. I mean, you know, we, we talk a lot about the, the gasoline that, you know, we put in our cars. I mean, diesel fuel, it's like five fifty a gallon. 
And you might say, well, why do I care what, you know, I'm, I'm not driving a diesel car and I'm not a trucker. Why do I care about that? Well, you care about it because the way goods, the way those groceries that you are buying at the Sendex or the Pick and Save or the Woodman's or whatever, the way they get into that store and the way they get onto the shelves is they are brought by trucks. And so those companies that are transporting the stuff, they're, they're charging, you know, they, they, and those charges get passed on to the stores. And so, you know, one way or the other, we're all paying for this. Nobody eats that. You know, and at the end of the day, it's not, gee, why does this bacon go up, you know, three bucks uh, for a pound of bacon? Why did it go up for that? Well, it's a lot of factors that go into it, including that that high cost of diesel fuel. It's what makes inflation so very insidious. Um 855-616-1620. Jeff, my wife and I are in our late 70s and rely on stock dividends, interest on bonds, and Social Security. Dividends have not yet been affected with most showing increases. Social Security is indexed. However, interest has dropped substantially. You know, we have countered by eliminating satellite TV, cutting back on trips and subscriptions, and being smarter and taking more chances in the medical care and dental areas. In other words, like delaying treatment and all. that That's the impact that this has. Um, Jeff, I think my IRA went down about $150,000 plus. Um, I, I guess I'm going to have to keep working. Well, yeah, that that's one of the factors that are out there. And I understand some people say, I'm not going to be sympathetic for somebody that, that has 150 grand. Well, okay, that's, that's maybe somebody that saved their entire life and had a target date of I want to retire at the age of 62 or whatever that is, and I want to have a target amount, and you thought you were there as of about a year and a half ago, and now... Not only are you not there, but you're not close to where you used to be. Very, very much of a problem. And it's it's not a transitory thing. It's complicated as to why, you know, it, it's going on. But it, it's there. And I think a lot of our government policies have contributed to the problem. Jeff, we have two daughters who will be attending an out-of-state college. Unfortunately, we would like to go see them. With the cost of travel, we will not do so. We're going to send them off. Uh, they will stay there. They're not going to come home until Christmas break. We're fortunate to have a family who lives in the states where they attend so they can spend Thanksgiving with them. But, yeah, that's a factor that's... Um, there. Um, one of our texts says, Jeff, people are not tipping to keep pace with inflation. Well, that's, that, that factor is out there as well. Inflation is pervasive. It doesn't matter whether you're wealthy or less wealthy. It affects you. It doesn't matter if you're old or middle-aged or young. It impacts on you. And we're seeing unprecedented inflation right now. I mean, you got to go back, like I say, four decades to see cost increases like it's happening. And I guess the frustrating thing to me is nobody in government seems to have an idea as to how to bring it under control. And that's too bad. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So, Alex and Greg, we, we've, to, to peel back the curtain, we have all these different monitors that are here, and one of, and most of them are out of my control, but the, the one, there's like one TV screen that I get, and we, were, we had the British Open on, and I wasn't really watching it, but we could kind of check in during breaks and stuff. Now the British Open coverage has concluded, and so I've switched over to um, Swamp People. You guys ever watch Swamp People? <laughs> uh, I, I haven't, but uh, I, I don't know if the gator is wrestling this overweight man in overalls, or if it's the opposite, Yeah, well, uh, but it's a heck of a struggle. Well, okay, all 
All right. So I, I fully admit, and I, I've said this before, this is one of my guilty pleasures. I, I love I love all this, what I call the junk TV stuff. I mean, I, I love stuff like, like Gold Rush, and I, I love um, some of these shows. But Swamp People has a particular affinity for me, because Swamp People, it's set in the Louisiana Bayou, and you have these people that, and what they do is they go out and they, they put, like, dead chickens and stuff that are covered in something, and they hang them up, and then alligators come along and, and eat them. And then, you know, they get trapped on the hook, and then these guys come back, and they wrestle these giant alligators into boats. And if you look at the guys that are doing this sometimes they're all missing fingers you why could that possibly be because <laughs> the fight with this but the, the reason that this appeals to me is because regardless of, of how bad a day that you have ever had at work you know you, you, you know for whatever everything yeah. you touch just goes absolutely wrong you, you come home and you know you put this on and you think okay I've had a really really bad day at work but at least I'm not out in 120 degree heat you know motoring through the the bayou <laughs> trying to find some live alligator on a hook that I can then try to wrestle into the boat and shoot with a shotgun yeah that uh, I, that thought has never <laughs> crossed my mind but I guess you're right I, but think of the tan you would have Jeff. Boy, your skin would just be glowing. <laughs> yeah, you. It's that right. And by the way, it's it's actually it's not a shotgun. It's like they have there's rifles that they use. But they but there's there's two guys in the boat. There's the one guy that that takes the, that takes the okay. So the alligator is now it's eating the chicken. It's mm-hmm. on the hook. And these alligators are ho- are hostile because they're now on the hook. And so the one guy is trying to like wrestle the alligator and hold it in place while the other guy is trying to shoot the alligator. But there's only certain places. I'm embarrassed that I know this, but I do. There's only certain places, because alligators have tough hides. Mm-hmm. There's only certain places that you can shoot the alligator, um, or else you're just going to hack him off. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> this just reminds me of why I live in a place where we have very cold winters, because I don't, I don't know how well I would do with alligators crawling around all the time. Well, for you... For you, there is a show called Ice Road Truckers, <laughs> which is which is the, these people that are like driving trucks, making deliveries like over over frozen lakes in Alaska and stuff like that. Wh- you know? Which would you rather have to do? I, I choose to do neither one. Thank you. I, I, <laughs> yeah, Deadliest Catch was I think maybe one of the first in this yeah. series of yeah, whatever. That, you know, they just but had I, their I 18th anniversary, right? Deadliest Catch. That's, that's a great show. That's just well, it's still on. 18 years. You know, it's still some of the same guys there, right? Because no matter how bad a day you have had, Greg Matzik, you're you're not on a crab boat in the middle of the Bering Sea in January with <laughs> where it's 20 degrees below right. and you've got you know you've got a storm that's going to flip over your boat. No, it's 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 see it's great. I think that's what people look at and they go, "Huh, there's folks that do that." <laughs> God bless them. God bless them. <laughs> Gold Rush is the same thing. It's all these different it's all these different shows that make me appreciate my life, you know? Yeah, I think there's one about lumberjacks as well or something along those lines and that's another one that would be it was like rated the most dangerous job I think at one point. No yeah. Thanks. I'm, no, I'm, not, I'm not doing that one. No, there, there's all of these. But again, it, I, I, I'm, I respect the fact that there are people that are out there and, and do them. And I'm also glad it's not me that does it. So <laughs> that's just kind of a little aside. All right. Let us get back to our real jobs here. Um, we have talked about this in, in different forms. There was in the 60s. Let me go back to the 1960s. Let me take you back to Lyndon Johnson and the Great Society program. And we collectively the government decided what we need to do the way we get people out of poverty is we give them other people's money that that was it we're we're going to start these different welfare programs and and we're going to give people money 
and then they're going to their lives are going to be better and everything will be great. Well, what we found is, as a general rule, those those great society welfare programs were a complete and total failure because all they did was create a dependency. People got a certain level of, of money, and then they, they didn't work. They sat around. Um, they just decided, okay, well, this it's going to be this subsistence-level thing, and, and they ended up getting trapped essentially, if not in poverty, close to poverty, because they were just dependent on the government. And it became very, very insidious because the people who were, you know, on on the dole, as it were, um, they had kids, and the kids grew up in a lifestyle of here, the government's going to just give you money and not expect you to do stuff. And so they ended up not doing stuff. And so you had generations of, of people who were, you know, essentially trapped in poverty because there's only so much of other people's money that you can give. So what it started happening in the late 70s, the early 80s. It happened in Wisconsin in the 90s where we started to realize that, look, what, when it comes to, like, quote-unquote, welfare programs, we are not doing people a favor if we simply do nothing but give them handouts. What we need to do is take care of the neediest people in society. But at the same time, we, we need to we need to get them to work. We need them to figure out how to better themselves because that, that's the real that's the way you get out of poverty. It's okay, you, you get the job, you get that minimum wage job, and then you work at that and then you use that to get a better job and a better job and a better job. And and that's where we got the, under Tommy Thompson, for example, the whole let let's work fit the work work fair, let's get people training, et cetera, and things like that. And and that's where we have gone. Well, there's now a push to go in the opposite direction. Right now when it comes to benefits. Typically, we don't just hand people money. We give people benefits for certain things. For example, um, food stamps. And they they don't call it food stamps anymore. It's like the the, the SNAP program. But essentially, you know, we'll give people a a certain allotment. You get 200 bucks, you know, this month or whatever. And, but you, you can't just go and buy anything with that. There's restrictions as to what you can do with that supplemental food assistance. You have to spend it on food. And there's limits on the type of food that you can have it for. Okay, maybe we're going to give people rent assistance. Well, okay, that's fine. The, the money you get for rent assistance, it, it's earmarked for, again, that rent rental assistance. Same thing with utility payments and things like that. We don't just give people money and say, we want you to use it for rent or we want to use it to pay your utilities or we want you to use it to buy food. It's all tied. You can only use it for those different things. We have apparently in 2022 decided that that is not the way to go because it is, I guess, demeaning and dehumanizing to expect people to get targeted relief that they have to use for certain things. And so more and more communities are starting to inch towards this thing they call guaranteed income. Last month in Madison, the mayor announced the new guaranteed income program, which is going to give 155 families in Madison 500 bucks a month for one year, no strings attached, Here's $500. Do whatever you want with it. Now, the money that they're using in Madison, this is not 
by and large, it's not public money. It's money they got from private foundations and grants and things like that. So it's not taxpayer money that's involved. But this is, it's a follow-up to, you know, what's going on in a number of communities across the country. Um, Oregon, for example, they're going to be distributing $600 in just 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 gifts to low-income people um, earlier. They're going to do it a little bit later on this year. Just 600 bucks. Here it is. No strings attached. We're just giving it to you. And the story in the local newspaper is that the, the mayor of Milwaukee says that he, he'd be really open to this idea of guaranteed income, just giving people money, no strings attached. But he says, well, we can't do that in Milwaukee right now because we, we don't have we don't have the money to do that, and we don't have like philanthropists that are giving us the money to do that. But he says, I, I'm, I'd be open to that idea, just giving people money. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Those who do not remember the lessons of history are doomed to repeat it, or something like that. You know, the, the great society welfare state, where we just gave people money, for not doing anything, no strings attached, was, at least in my opinion, a complete and total disaster. And at least I believe that if we were to go back to those failed policies from the 60s and 70s, the result would not be any different at all. And whether, I guess, I mean, if, if it's private money and it's not the taxpayer's dough and that's how the, the city wants to do it, Okay, well, you know, at least it's not costing the taxpayers money. But I continue to believe that you are not doing people a favor by just handing them money, no strings attached, to do what they want with it. 855-616-1620. What do you think? We discuss in a moment. So, very glad to have you with us, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So the mayor of the city of Milwaukee says, well, he's open to this guaranteed income idea. They just don't have any money to to do it. Well, okay, that's probably a good thing because I think this idea of guaranteed income, and they're doing it in Madison, and they're doing it in Stockton, California, and they're doing it in Oregon, I I think it, it is a throwback to policies that failed 50 years ago. It's one of these things that, oh, this sounds really, really good, and we can elevate people out of poverty if we simply, like, give them money. Well, Well, no, it doesn't elevate them out of poverty. All it does is creates a dependency. And, and then, I mean, the fair question is, what what happens? Okay, so you sit there and you say, "All right, what I'm going to I'm going to go on the dole, and I'm going to take all my other benefits. Plus, I'm going to have this extra five hundred dollars. And you know what? It, it's I, I don't have to work, so I, I'm going to I'm just going to like use the, this money, whether it's five hundred bucks or a thousand dollars. I'm going to use it together with all the other programs that I'm on. I'm going to use this to just kind of hang out. I'm going to chill for a year, year and a half. Well, what happens when that program ends? And then all of a sudden you're in a situation where, well, wait, I, I've been relying on that money. It, it's not there anymore. Well, then, of course, you have the politicians say, well, we can't cut these people off. They've become dependent on this. That That's, that's why you need to have programs 
that deal with the, the needs that people have. Again, I'm not anti I'm food stamps, the, the supplemental tr- nutrition assistance program. That that's that's fine. And if it's utility relief and it's rent relief and all those type of things, but it's why the money needs to be targeted and it needs to go to the landlords or it needs to go to the utility company or it needs to be required to be used on food because if you do not do that, there's no guarantee that that money is going to be spent as as intended. Um, Jeff, this is a training program to get people to do what you want. It doesn't improve society at all. Um, I'll give you money, you know, do do whatever. I mean, it's well, ex- exactly, because if you want to take the money and you want to go to Potawatomi and p- place bets with it, you, you can do it. If you want to take the money and use it to upgrade your cable television service so now you're getting you know hbo and showtime and that you 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 can do it there's no limitations on that at all explain to me why that is a good idea in general but in particular why it would be a good idea if you're using public money and the answer is you know Absolutely not. Jeff, 150 families or individuals every month or year, who picks the recipients? Even with the applications, it would be overwhelmed, you know, what happens after a year. Well, that's the question. You get the people on the dole, and then can you ever discontinue it? And the answer, I think, often is, you know, no. And it's not a question of not wanting to help people. It's a question of figuring out, do you really help people if you just end up giving them money and not requiring them to be accountable for this at all? We tried it years ago. It didn't work. Nothing has changed over the years to at least convince me that it would work. But, of course... Nowadays, this is it. We're just, we, we, we want to, we respect human dignity. It is insulting to expect people to say, okay, if we're going to give you money, you have to use it to buy food, or we're going to give you money, you have to use it to pay for your rent. We should just give you money to let you do what you want with it. What could go wrong with that? Oh, yeah, a lot. So very glad to have you with us. Hey, I, I didn't talk about this story, but it, it was making the rounds in, in the media. Now there, there's an update on this. You you may remember, like last week, there was a story out there where, again, in the effort to highlight some of the issues with regard to Roe versus Wade being overturned, there was a story that was out there that was picked up by the president who talked about how a 10-year-old Ohio girl um, who was had been impregnated? Um, she was forced to travel to Indiana to seek an abortion. And you, if you might remember, President Biden he, he used that as an example about how how terrible the Roe versus Wade story was. And the, there, there were a number of commentators who started questioning this because they were saying, "Well, wait a second it's it's illegal to imp- impregnate a ten year old and you know where where is the evidence of this, and was this folklore or whatever and especially since the story had was being peddled by one of kind of the nation's sort of leading pro abortion docs that was out there, and so a lot of people were saying okay did did Biden get guppied in? was the story non existent well as, as it turns out, the follow up is it apparently is true in columbus ohio there there's been a guy that has now been charged with impregnating a a ten year old girl so 
because that was what people were saying. Well, you know, wait a second. If this had really happened, there there would be charges which are issued. Issued. Well, yesterday they, they did, in fact, issue charges, and so the, the story is valid. Apparently, you have a guy who sexually assaulted a ten year old. She might have been nine at the time. Got her pregnant, and yes, she had to travel to. Um, Indiana to you know receive an abortion and so that aspect of the story was true what is interesting to me the other aspect of the story is and it's not getting anywhere near the attention I think it deserves is the guy who was charged with sexually assaulting the nine or ten year old girl illegal alien somebody in this country again illegally who was responsible for the sexual assault of this nine or ten year old, which is again this that's the other aspect of this story that's here that okay, well maybe maybe just maybe if we had been better about screening the people that are coming into this country and if the guy hadn't been here illegally in the first place, he wouldn't have been there in a position to sexually assault the nine or ten year old girl. So that's the other story that's out there. The story Biden told was valid, but the flip side would have been, well, Joe, you know, you're all about open borders and stuff like this. Do you think maybe that these are some of the consequences that happen when you develop these open border policies that you bring people into this country who do these various things, which then cause these other problems? Just asking. So very glad to have you with us. Uh, a number of years ago, when we were, we, we used to, our Summerfest schedule used to be more extensive, and there, there'd be times that I would fill in on the morning show, 8.30 to noon, and we'd broadcast from Summerfest, even though the fact that Summerfest did not open up till, till noon, but you know, we, we were down there broadcasting, and it was always interesting to be there and see how Summerfest operated before it, it opens up to the crowd. And it, you really do have uh, an army of, of people that are out there, you know, cleaning up. I mean, because when people leave Summerfest at, at midnight or whenever it closes, it, it looks kind of like a, you know, a hurricane hit a Walmart. There's just stuff all over, and it's got to be picked up. And, I mean, I don't know how they do it now. I know that there's a lot of workers who work overnight going around and picking up trash. But I remember distinctly when I was down there again in the mornings years ago, in addition to the regular Summerfest workforce, there would be people from the House of Correction. And and what you would have is you'd have a bunch of guys in orange jumpsuits and they'd have the trash bags and they'd have the little spikes that you go around, you pick up trash, and there'd be there'd clearly be like there'd be a couple guards. I don't know what the ratio of guards were to people, but they were they were, you know, walking around the grounds and they were picking up stuff. And these were inmates from the House of Correction that they brought over to assist Summerfest in the cleanup. And I I don't know if they do that now, but I always thought that that was kind of an interesting sort of thing. The inmates, it was volunteer, so you're not forced to do it. They don't get paid, but they do get time, they they get credit. For, for their towards their you know their ultimate release, and I don't know how much credit they get or anything like that, but it was a volunteer thing, and I remember thinking, oh, this is okay, and of course they, they screen them. You're not well if you're if you're in the house of correction, chances are you're you're not an incredibly dangerous person, but you know, but they they screen them. They're not they're not letting somebody out there that they think is going to you know uh, first of all run away and maybe somebody has but it doesn't happen very often so they screen the people that can participate in this program and they don't want people that they think are particularly dangerous and they don't want people they think are going to run and and in general I think it has been pretty successful so 
Why do you bring this up, Jeff? Well, there are a couple of very, very liberal supervisors on the county board, starting with Supervisor Ryan Clancy, who's one of these guys. Clancy is one of these people that if you ever want to figure out where you should be on an issue, find out where he is and go the other way, and you will be right. So he's introducing a resolution, um, which this is what it says. It would make it official, the position of the county board, that the use of unpaid prison labor, particularly in the Milwaukee County Criminal Justice Facility, the jail and the House of Correction, is inherently immoral and exploitive, and any service provided by prison labor undercuts the ability of free labor laborers to earn a living. He then goes on to say that, well, um, you know, I, I think I hope this forms the basis for future legislation that if, you know, we're going to use people from the House of Correction, that they should have to be paid. And the idea is they should be paid. And I think he's also against using the prison labor to begin with because the argument is maybe that Summerfest doesn't have to hire, in my example, and again, I don't know if they still use them, but that it's, you know, people from the private sector would otherwise be hired and these prisoners are taking their jobs. Our number are, is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It is amazing to me how wrong some of these politicians can be. So the, the idea is you've got people that are sitting around in the county jail. They're, they're doing nothing but sitting around in the county jail. There are things that they could do which would contribute overall. Maybe it's, it's I don't know, maybe it's going through the county parks on the, the morning after the fireworks, you know, July 4th, and, and helping pick up some of the crap that people have, have left behind, in addition to, like, the park workers. You know, maybe it's cleaning up the Summerfest grounds. Maybe it's, hey, we're going to take people and we're going to put them along the roadways, and there's all this litter along the roadways, and, and we're going to have them out, you know, picking up trash. So the supervisor would say, no, we, we're not going to do that. We think that it is immoral and exploitive to use prison labor. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To the contrary, I think to the extent they do this, this is a program which should be expanded. First of all, my guess is a lot of people are sitting in jail because they have no work ethic, and many of them probably haven't worked an honest day's work in a long time. So this is something that, that does that. Secondly, it is a volunteer program. So if you were to say to somebody, Here, here's your choice, you know, you can get a couple days off of your sentence by, you know, going outside and by doing something productive, we're, we're going to do it. How is that exploitive? You can always say, no, I'd rather sit here behind bars and watch TV, play cards with my buddies or whatever, or yeah, I'm going to go out and I'm going to pick up trash along the highway or do whatever this is. To me, Using prison labor is a win-win thing in this sort of setting. And the idea that, no, we're, we're not going to do it, and, and they're competing with the private sector. Oh, give me a break. You can't find, you know, Milwaukee County, for example, was begging volunteers. They couldn't find enough people to work at the park system this year with what they were paying. And they, they were actually paying, you know, pretty decent amounts. They couldn't get enough people that would pay so that they could have, you know, parks workers clean up after the 3rd of July fireworks. 
I think this is it. So they had to go out and get, ask for volunteers. Well, I think it's a good deal rather than asking for citizens to give up their time and go and clean up stuff, the debris that people have left, for example, in the lakefront. Isn't it a better idea to go to people at the House of Correction and say, okay, anybody want to get out for a little bit? And here, come work for six hours or eight hours and, you know, you get your box lunch and you, you can go and you can be outside and plus we'll knock a few days off your sentence or whatever. To me, that is not exploitive. It is not immoral. It is a win all along. Society gets something from the criminals. The criminals get out of jail for a little bit. They get to do something that actually repays their debt to society a little bit, and they get some time off. 855-616-1620. To say, no, we're going to stop that is insane, isn't it? We discuss. Here's the text. I know you can't say it on the radio, Jeff, but WTF. Well, I can say WTF on the radio, but yeah, we all know what the acronym stands for. I can't say that. I worked for the village one summer during college. We had a federal prison in our county, and with guys with nonviolent convictions at the end of their sentence would volunteer to help us clean up the parks and do other tasks around the village. They loved it. What is the downside here? All right, there, there's no downside. Good grief, Jeff. It's not a chain gang. I'm all for putting prisoners to work who wouldn't rather be outside than behind bars. It, it is unreal. Yeah, absolutely. That, it, to me, it's one of these deals where it's a win-win situation. And I'm, look, I saw Cool Hand Lee. Luke, I understand that. We're, we're, I'm not talking about some chain gang working on the roads, but at the same time, if you're talking about cleaning up the the parks or something like that because we can't get enough people. We can't find people to take those jobs, so it's a problem. So what's wrong with saying, hey, we need a dozen people here at the House of Correction. Can I have any volunteers? Here's the deal. You're going to go out at, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning, and you're going to work till 10 o'clock in the morning, and you're going to be picking up trash, and, you know, this is how many we need. What What is the problem with that? And, by the way, we'll give you time off your sentence. Okay, you're being compensated. Now, you're not being paid money, but you're being compensated in your own fashion. Let's start with Patrick in Franklin. Patrick, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi. Um, so my grandfather was uh, mayor of Franklin for many years, and um, he used to go ahead and um, take um, a dozen uh, prisoners out at a time. And I can still remember to this day, He'd either bring them to his place of business and have them um, work for him and he would compensate them or else um, he would have them um, clean up, um, if anybody really knows, I mean, um, North Cape Road going to the dump site is um, totally um, uh, annihilated with garbage that comes off the dump trucks and he would have them pick that stuff up. Um, and he did that for many years. I mean, he would go to George Webb's and buy them hamburgers and stuff mm-hmm. and feed them as well. Um, so, I mean, he went over and above. But um, And then all of a sudden there was big uproar and it all got kiboshed. And, and so um, yeah, I never went and got put back into... Yeah. Now I think it's yeah. Now Patrick, no, thanks for call. Now I think it's look. I I think it's it, it, there. There's two different things. I I think you know it's it's one thing if you're talking about citizens that are like renting the 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 inmates for private labor or things like that. But that's 
that that's not what a lot of this is. Most of this is here. We're we're going to do public service stuff. We're we're going to do cleanup. I mean, I I, I remember traveling around the state. You you drive around the states on nice spring weekends or nice fall weekends, and what you'll see is you'll see all these citizens who are volunteering their like time cleaning up a highway. You know the folks that are going around and they're filling up trash bags and they'll put the trash bags out full of litter, and then you know somebody will come along and pick up all the trash bags, and that's great that you've got citizens that are doing that. But at the same time, if you've got inmates that are sitting on their butts watching TV or playing cards or whatever. Wouldn't it be nice to say, okay, let, let's ask these people to do something productive? And again, I'm not saying you require them, but my guess is you go to the House of Correction. There's lots of people who would like to get outside for you know at least a little bit of time, and we'll give you a couple days off your sentence to do that. To me, again, it's the ultimate kind of win-win situation. Chris, Chris, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I think the other thing people forget here is that there is a true and actual cost per day for, like, someone to be locked up. So mm-hmm. it's costing taxpayers, government, money. So if they give them time off their sentence, I mean, trust me, someone can put this on paper and, and count it as compensation. You're sure. saving us money. Plus, they were never asked to pay for the 30 days they were in the slam anyway. So, yeah, win-win. I, I don't. Uh, this is crazy talk. I don't see why this is a problem. Yeah, no, thanks for going. It's on, right, it, it's absolutely, we've once again, and this is kind of a theme of today's program, there's a couple themes. First of all, that this idea that work is bad, <laughs> you know, oh, how, how this is immoral, this is terrible, you know, oh, that this is awful, that are doing this, you know, they, they, they won't recognize the value of work. No, they, they, they do recognize the value of work because, like I say, my guess is, if you if the choice was okay you're in the house of correction and we're going to we're going to knock a couple you know we're going to knock a couple days off your sentence or you know we're going to pay you minimum wage of $8 an hour to go up and clean up the stuff on the highway my guess is the vast majority of people would much rather have that time off of their sentence but regardless it's it's not like you're it's not slave labor you are giving them something of value that something of value is you know you get credit so you get out sooner and if you don't want to do it don't do it. That, that's the other beauty of these programs. Nobody is made to do this. You're given that option. It's just this collective win-win thing. But again, we, we've got this sort of woke attitude that, that's out there. And unfortunately, it's it's the dominant theme on the Clown Car Act that is the Milwaukee County Board. This idea that, oh, th- this, this, would be, this would be terrible. And, oh, this is so horrible. And it's so demeaning to the people. Well, okay, maybe if the members of the county board started thinking more about all right why is the are these people in prison in the first place you know why is it that they're in jail what is it that they've done and recognize that you know maybe a lot of this comes back to the fact that people that are in jail they, they don't have a very good work ethic if they have any work ethic at all and just maybe 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 you can help them with their rehabilitation by getting them out and having them actually do an honest day's work for, in some cases, maybe the first time in their lives. What, what's, what's wrong with that notion? And if you don't want to do it, don't do it. But, of course, this is Milwaukee County where, you know, it's woke thinking. How dare you do this to people? We just let people sit on their butts and play cards and hang out, and we want to go along with Tony Evers, and we want to reduce the prison population in half. And if that means that crime runs amok, well, so be it. Crime runs amok.